Listener Production. Coming up today on Footy Talk, Ellie Blackburn, absolute superstar of the AFLW, is going to join me. 66 games for the Western Bulldogs, a lazy three All-Australians and four-time best and fairest for the club. So stick around. We're also going to delve into some of the MRO controversy as well as Courtney Holder's non-mark of the week. You're listening to Footy Talk and we have a extremely special guest today. We've got Ellie Blackburn, friend, colleague, um, everything else of mine. <laughs> Blackers, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, mate. It's about time you've got me in here. Oh, well, I've been asking forever and your manager <laughs> is a bit of a pain to deal with, so um, had a bit of trouble with him. Um, but yeah, we've got you on now. Thanks, mate. Rumour has it he manages you too, so. Yeah, he only gets me the big gigs, so <laughs> that's what's wrong here. So obviously today we're going to wrap up round eight of the AFLW. It was a very close round, five games decided by six points or less and even our first draw for the season. But before we get into that, let's get into your journey. Um, how you started playing football. You're probably one of the very few players that started in the AFLW that was able to play pretty much all the way through um, till the inception of the competition. So give us a little bit of a background into your football journey. Yeah, so I did actually, I actually did Kick with my brother and sister. So I was the youngest of three. So they, they started doing it and being the youngest sibling, I always wanted to copy everything they did. So we did that um, at a young age. And then eventually I played um, under nines at Beaconsfield Junior Footy Club there and, and played basically the whole way through with the boys up until under 14s and absolutely loved it. Um, and then in my last season with the boys, I played my first season of youth girls as well. So on the Saturday I was playing youth girls and on the Sunday I was playing under 14 <laughs> junior boys footy, which was um, a lot of driving around for my poor parents, but which was great to, to do. So I played both and then eventually I think when I got to 16, you're allowed to play like five or six senior women's games. So jumped in and played at Berwick with that because Beaconsfield didn't have um, women's teams at that time. Um, so I had to sort of jump the creek and, and play a bit of footy there until eventually sort of I finished up my um, junior uh, youth girls career at Beaky and went went across to Melbourne Uni and played VFL there. Uh, for a handful of years with the number of players that are playing currently in the competition now, which was awesome to be part of. Unfortunately, we didn't win a flag, which was so disappointing with the group that we had then. And then obviously Darabin won every flag that there was able to be won? Bloody Darabin. And then <laughs> Kirsty Lamb won one with Diamond Creek oh, as well. Oh, hell. We got a best on ground medal in a grand final there. Does she tell you about that quite regularly? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, just does it in Lamby fashion. Oh, the old Creekers, we got it done. Um, good on them. <laughs> At least they won one. Um, but no, and then eventually got like played in the exhibition games as well. So I was with Melbourne. I was going to say you played with Melbourne. So those that don't know, Melbourne and Western Bulldogs, the two pioneer sort of yeah. clubs in women's football, used to play exhibition matches for about four or five years really up until the AFLW yeah. was actually thought of. Um, and it was basically a combination of pretty much the best talent in Australia, playing football at the time. So girls would come from all over the place, train for a week or so, and then yep. you guys would play each other. So you crossed over from the Ds to then sign with the Bulldogs. I did. I was fortunate enough to get picked up with the dogs sort of in that last year, I think it was in 2016 of the um, exhibition game, like just beforehand when they were signing the marquee players, I was fortunate enough to get a call from the Bulldogs and, and they picked me up and signed me as one of their marquee players, which was like the most real, like unreal experience, sorry, um, to, to be part of. I just remember that so vividly and where I was when I, when I got the call to, to be told I was coming on the list. And yeah, it was a, a huge moment and played sort of with the Bulldogs 
ever since, which was truly amazing, like, to, to get picked up by them and, and be part of that last exhibition game as well. That was unreal. That was such a good game of footy. And then you're one of the few that's probably at, still at the club that you started at. There's been obviously a lot of movement. There's had to be a lot of movement for the club, the competition to expand so much. Had a pretty good offer last year to move to <laughs> Sydney to up and go to the, um, I guess, the more expensive and busy state um, up in New South Wales, but decided to stay. What sort of played out in that decision and, and how difficult of a decision was it for you? Yeah, it was a really tough one, actually, um, to be completely honest. And I mean, at the time, it, like I just felt like there was a lot of change happening in my life personally as well. And and I think in the end, what I was basing a decision off of whether to go or, or to stay at the dogs, it was, wasn't even football related in the end. It was sort of lifestyle, wanting a change in like what was happening for me personally. And, and I was like, Sydney, great, fresh start for that. But then when I sort of thought about it in a footy context, it's like, geez, I love the dogs so much. I love playing at that football club. I love the players. You know, I love the environment that I'm part of there. Why would I ever want to leave when like that's the reason why I'd be going is is for a football decision and so in the end it was pretty sort of straightforward for me that I, I wanted to stay and, and be part of what our next steps were moving forward as a football club and absolutely love being at the Bulldogs. Now this might be a bit forward but being 0-8 this year we obviously haven't had a season that we've wanted. I coach at the Bulldogs with you. It's been a tough season. It has. At any point have you sort of thought back on that decision and thought, geez, the grass could be greener somewhere else <laughs> or you're happy, you stick through it? It's these times yeah. that you come up in your career that probably define who you are and you see it out and you see out the process that we're going through at the club. Yeah, I don't think I've ever really considered, geez, like I, I wonder what it would be like elsewhere in terms of like wanting to physically be there, probably in the, the space of curiosity of like, how are they operating their programs? You know, what what are they doing to make them successful potentially? Um, but not in not in the case of wanting to actually leave the club. I, I definitely want to see this through. You know, we've got such a great young list, and I think that's been highlighted across the season that we, we it's been really disappointing, and that and that's the reality of it. And we're not going to sugarcoat that by any means. You know, it, it's I regret some of the things that have happened across the course of the season, and I wish I I knew then what I know now about some of the outcomes that have occurred across across the season so far but I definitely want to see it through and I, I'm a strong believer that you know if we really learn and, and take on an educational mindset from what we've endured this season we can be better come in the coming years. Yeah absolutely couldn't agree more I mean so many of the list are under 22. Um, oh, no, I feel so some, old. I know says <laughs> 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 you um, and yeah they're they're learning they're developing they're girls that we've seen a lot of growth in already this year and I think yep. You learn most from your losses, so we're learning heaps. <laughs> Every week at the moment, Kate. <laughs> Although we're in the position we're in, I think, yeah, we're definitely sort of in a good place moving forward, even yeah, though you hate to do that during a season which is oh. 10 weeks short. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a hard part to it is that now it's like you're sort of looking, we've got, what, two more games to go, and then from there it's it's and the next eight months on the sidelines sort of training, doing your own thing. So it's, it's so disappointing knowing that, you know, for the 10 games that you get a, a really good opportunity to make the most of it, that we, we haven't capitalised on that by any means. And one thing I want to throw to is you've been in the, the competition since, since inception. Obviously, we've spoken about that. What do you think are the major differences between sort of the first season and, and where we are now in season eight? I would say probably one of the key aspects to it is is probably the coaching side of it all. I reckon in the first season it was a lot of, all right, girls, let's just 
kick and hope and, and that was basically our game plan in year one. It was long down the line, get numbers there, create a contest, get it long down the line again, create a contest and, and hope it eventuates into a goal. I would say across the years you've started to see zones coming in, um, a bit more tactics in the way that teams are trying to move the footy, they're trying to manipulate a tag or whatever it might look like. So I think the coaching's probably been the biggest aspect to it and then how players are, are sort of taking on board that coaching as well. So the educational piece has definitely skyrocketed and I think that's a result of you know, the younger players coming through that have been in the system and, and know footy from a young age, whereas you know you still probably have that handful of players that started footy at you know, the age of 16. So they didn't necessarily pick it up. So they don't know sort of the ins and outs and the, and the finer details of footy. They're still picking that up as they as they go along. But it's an education piece and the mindset, I think, has changed. A group of girls that haven't played footy for a whole lot of time are the Irish girls that have come yeah. out. I am just absolutely in awe of what they are able to do in such a short time. You've seen someone like Ash Maloney down at Geelong. Now, the whole season, I know this has been spoken about so much till we're probably sick of talking about it, but <laughs> she came in, I think, six weeks before the season started and playing as a key forward is really difficult in football and I don't know how she's adapted so well. I just, the Irish girls, are they, do you feel the same way? Just the way they yep. pick it up, attack the footy and go at it? I think to a certain degree, Gaelic is pretty relatable to AFL. I mean, obviously the ball shape and, and the way it's actually run is like a little bit different, but in terms of like the patterns of movement and trying to break lines to get the ball moving forward. It's it's a similar concept to it. And, it, I mean, it's just so impressive. And, and knowing what well, – part of knowing what, what the culture is like in Gaelic and how hard they work and their mindsets with it, it's, I don't think it's a surprise that all the Irish players that have come across have picked up the game in the way that they have. It's, it's genuinely incredible to watch. One thing on the mindset, I remember talking to Anya McDonough last year at Hawthorne yep. and we were talking about goal celebrations and <laughs> – she was saying that in Gaelic, you can't celebrate goals. So you kick the goal and then the ball comes straight back in. So we've seen such a, like even Cora Staunton, never, was the best. never celebrated ever. Um, and it was purely because they were so drilled that if you switch off and you celebrate the goal, they're going to have scored one by the time that you refocus. And yep. I think they carry that into everything they do. They're such professionals with how they prepare. They really are. And, and we've had... The, you know, the privilege of playing with a couple of Irish players as well. Ash McCarthy, who's, who's now at West Coast, was initially with us um, in her first couple of seasons and, and just her professionalism coming into it as well and just the mindset that she had with it all. Like she was like, no, like standards, like we've got to be, you know, so diligent with everything we're doing. And it was almost like a different mindset to sort of how we initially approached it. Um, but it, it, Cora Storm for me was absolutely <laughs> the funniest person to ever watch on the football field. Like she was incredible and, and just the way she like kicked the ball around the corner on a drop punt set shot on goal and then just the the absolute look that she's like no celebration no. girls like we've got to get back to business yeah. get there I'm going in the yeah. square you guys go up there because we get get set and go again and they would try to celebrate with her but she just <laughs> wouldn't nothing. let it happen <laughs> I reckon once she cracked a smile and the commentators loved it yeah. oh we got a smile out of Cora um yeah was one of the best key forwards in the game at just 40 years old. Yeah, just like casually. Dominating. Impressive. Um, so do you reckon you'll still be playing at 40? I hope not. <laughs> I really hope not. I do not want to be playing by that age. <laughs> Last one we're going to talk about is just the, the CBA. So mm. there's that clause in it about um, crowd figures and broadcast numbers and things like that. And for the remainder of this season, we need the average to be at 3,500 attendees. We're currently sitting at 2,600, so it needs to lift on average by at least 860. What do you think are the keys to doing that? Well, I mean, it's it's 
promotion as much as possible is probably the key part and, and talking about it and acknowledging that to sort of the supporters out there and, and I guess enforcing them to come to games, come and support us. You know, you, we, we hear your support on the sidelines and we know that you're there. It's just it's we need you to show up at the footy now and, and be there and be present. And, and I have no doubt it's a, it's a great experience. I know being back at Wittenover, we've got some great numbers being back there as well. Obviously, we're still limited capacity with the redevelopment going on. But, I mean, just just being part of that atmosphere and the experience of it all is, is definitely worthwhile. But I think from a player's perspective, if we can keep sharing it sort of through social media, it's such a powerful um, platform to be able to utilise. So from a player's perspective, you know, what we can control is how we promote the game and, and share our stories and, and bring people um, into the into the games as much as possible. The good news is the season will increase to 11 games next year regardless of crowd numbers. So that's at least sort of a positive moving forward. We can get it to 12 if we get the right amount of people. So if you're listening and you're close by to an AFLW game or even yeah. if you're not this weekend, make sure you get down to it. Um, we'll be back after this and we're going to dissect a little bit more from around the grounds from AFLW Round 8. You're listening to Footy Talk. Remember, if you are listening on Spotify, please hit the bell. We've got Ellie Blackburn with us, skipper extraordinaire from the Western Bulldogs. One club hero. Um, <laughs> probably going to hit the 100 at the Western Bulldogs, you'd think. Is that a goal of yours, getting to 100 games? Uh, it is. It is. What are you sitting at the moment? Um, I think. In the 60s, yep. around mid-60s, I believe. So We'll get to the game so she has 12 next <laughs> yeah. year <laughs> yeah. and that'll help her. If more supporters can get there, then we can <laughs> hurry up and get some more games of footy. <laughs> and it's sort of, you know, I'm not playing at the age of 40 to try and get to 100 games. That'd be great. <laughs> um, first one I want to talk to you about that happened over the weekend. It actually happened in round seven, but the fallout was in round eight. Courtney Hodder's all-time non-mark of the week. Oh. Craig Stasevich had this to say during the week. You know, Courtney's grab last week, uh, which wasn't mark of the week, I might add. That's another story. Um, but that's that's almost the highlight of AFLW over eight years, and it's not mark of the week. Anyway, um, you'll see that type of footy regularly if you come and watch us. He didn't care too much by the sounds of it. He wasn't too disappointed. <laughs> I love the way Craig Sarsovich goes about Same. it. <laughs> For me, that was the best mark I've seen probably in the AFLW. Back with the flight, didn't care at all what was coming the other way and just took the mark beautifully, wore the contact and grabbed it. Stunningly, Eloise Jones had 71% of the vote. Do you think some sort of Adelaide supporter has just sat down and created some sort of AI bot to just Absolutely. vote over and over for the 24 <laughs> hours that it's open? Because there's no way that was a better mark than Courtney Hodder's. No, I, I completely agree. I don't think it was better by any means. I mean, Courtney Hodder's mark, I was calling the game. So I saw it firsthand and I was literally watching being like, that's reminiscent of Nick Rewalt's mark when he's gone back with the flight. I think it was against Sydney over the top of Milne um, with that one. Like it was, it was just so reminiscent of it. Like Dakota Davidson, who's their key forward is coming out of the goal square and you're running back in full flight towards that and, and you take the mark and then just 
get back up and go about your business. That was in, that was so impressive. So yeah, I think she was hard done by. I think but, the more the more impressive thing is compare Nick Rewalt's size to Courtney Hodder's size as yeah. well. <laughs> the courage to do that at her size. She just does some incredible things on the field, doesn't she? Oh, she does. She's definitely a, a highlights reel to be able to watch. But yeah, definitely some Adelaide fan has definitely been out there just clicking. Vote, vote, vote. <laughs> well done to Adelaide them, Pros fans. Get some hobbies. Stop yeah. stealing vote of the week. Our uh, goal of the week off people that deserve. Of it. Mark of the week yeah. as well. Just stop. All Just right? give it to the right person. Absolutely. Um, do you think it should be fan voted or do you think it just should be decided by sort of a couple of people that choose every week their favourite? Oh, it's a tough one because I think it's a great way to engage fans in the game as much as possible to feel like they have an opinion and a say as to what's happening. So I'm, I don't necessarily agree with it just being voted by sort of, you know, the powers to be. But, I mean, every so often you could probably slide one under the table yeah. and just be like, hey. Just pretend that one yeah. won. <laughs> oh, these <laughs> votes are a bit wrong. We'll whoops, just make sure this whoops. goes right. <laughs> <laughs> the other one I want to talk to is a close friend of ours, Britt Gutneck. So she's gone through some setbacks in her career, mm-hmm. probably none bigger than what she's about oh. to come up against. She's been sent straight to the tribunal for an incident involving Paige Shepherd, which, in my opinion, if there was a tackle of the year, oh. it was the best tackle we've seen this year. However... She's been sent to the tribunal. It's been graded as careless, severe impact and high contact and she's facing a ban of three-plus matches. I genuinely thought it was the perfectly executed tackle. You were, I think you were really close by. I saw you in the replay yeah. standing at the front of this um, next stoppage. What was your view on it at the ground? I, I couldn't have had a better view of the tackle and the, the pure execution. I saw it happening and I, I just think it was a well-executed tackle. Obviously, from... Paige Shepard's point of view, like, hope she's okay. Like, I understand that she's hit her head or got some whiplash from, like, it going going to ground, but it wasn't necessarily as a result of Brit's actions with it all. Like, she just came in. It was a well-executed tackle, arms around the waist. Both hands were free. It was just all momentum was going that way. And yep. I just I, – I don't agree with a three-match ban for that – Considering the context of our season as well, what is it? It's like 30% of the season just wiped out over an extremely well-executed tackle, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think she's been hard done by in that one. I hope she gets off for it, honestly. Like, I understand, like, I, I hope Paige is okay, but, like, I just I don't think it's a result of a, a poorly executed tackle. Yeah, I think the momentum part has a huge part to go yep. with it. And also there was no second action. No. So we know the sling, you hold the player and then you s- sort of rotate them and mm. try and drag them into the ground. It was pure momentum yep. going through both of them. The poor, like Paige Shepard, the, the reason she was probably so badly affected by it is because she had no idea it was coming. And that's the thing. She had no yep. ability to brace and that was not Brit's fault though as the tackler. That's not her fault that she had no idea that she was about to tackle her. And, and honestly, I was there. So I hunt and then not being biased in my opinion, which it may sound to be, but like nobody was talking to her in that occasion. Like I don't, th- I think it caught everyone off guard that Brit sort of crept up that quickly on her in that occasion. There was no one being like quickly kick it. So you could like imagine that someone's around you ready to tackle. Like we were, I was sort of running in a direction where my opponent's there and, and I saw Brit coming. So it's not like I pushed up to try and apply that pressure where she could have braced or anything like that. It just it happened pretty quickly. And, yeah, uh, it's just unfortunate that she got the sort of injury from the, from the tackle as such. But, yeah, from Britt's point of view, 
it was a, it was a great tackle. I, I usually stay away from the comments on AFLW posts, but I did have a good troll through. So Bo McCreary said it was a fantastic tackle. Yes. Um, Collingwood Magpies Premiership player. Um, and I also had a look through and look, this could be in poor taste, but someone said that number 29 deserves a trip to the tribunal for the hospital pass because she absolutely <laughs> just set her up. <laughs> Britt was coming from behind and she just said, here you go, Paige, take that. You're going to get smashed. So I thought that was probably a fair argument as well. It was a pretty poor handball. So. Um, the other one, just on some tribunal stuff. So Najwa Allen mm-hmm. handed the three-match ban for her bump on Kirsten McLeod. How is she going? Yeah, she's good. I mean, uh, from my understanding, she's been able to get through all of her, her testing as such in terms of like the um, concussion protocols with it all. I think we're, we're probably going to take a bit of a precautious approach with Maka, just like knowing her history from my understanding with it all. But look, she she's going all right out there. She's um, seems to be in pretty good spirits at the club. Um, so hopefully she can recover as well as possible and get back out in the field. And looking forward to the race for the McClellan Trophy. So for those of you that don't know, the combined sort of ladder between men's and women's AFL is put together. The women's games are worth, I think, an extra couple of points just due to the the shortened seasons. So for each win, the club gets a certain amount of points. Um, The Lions, for them to win it, they have to beat St Kilda this weekend, who are sitting in 12th, and the Demons need to account for the 13th-ranked Fremantle, okay? If the Lions lose, the Demons win. But if it all comes down to the last game, it could be a game for a million dollars between Brisbane and Melbourne. Do you think that would be extra motivation? Uh, Maybe not from a player's point of view. I don't think the players will look at it in that context. But I have no doubt that the powers to be at the clubs are like, you better win, girls. (laughs) Get us the million. (laughs) We are struggling. Yeah, (laughs) Definitely the clubs will do what they can to be like, make sure our best team is out in the park. You've got to have a good game plan, coaches, and – be well executed on game day to get that done. I mean, why wouldn't you? It's an extra million dollars invested into your football club. So, I mean, you'd, you'd, you're probably not playing from it for a player's perspective, but I also think it'll determine sort of the ladder and, you know, who gets a home final yeah, as well in the end. far more motivation than the one million, but yeah. it'll de- I think it'll have a lot of ramifications on ladder position coming into finals as well. Speaking of finals, um, your household might not have been too good on Sunday afternoon after Bonnie's yeah. Bombers lost to the Eagles. How, did, how was the fallout from that? Yeah, it wasn't good. Um, <laughs> sort of afterwards. I think they just, it was a bit unexpected from their point of view. Like, I mean, they probably went in, I mean, without speaking out of context with it all, probably like, you know, we should win this game realistically with it all. Sort of you have a look at where West Coast sits, where they are, and and they win that game and they're like, well, hey, we can finish top four here as well, which would really shake up the competition, give them a couple of chances come finals time. I think they're still within a chance to, to finish top four, mind you, but they also would have almost secured their final spot as well. So I think it was pretty disappointing in, in regards to that. So, yeah, they were uh, pretty disappointed <laughs> and frustrated after the game, as you can imagine. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Eagles just outplayed them on the day and, and played the, the conditions much better than what Essendon did. Yeah, very difficult conditions. Just quickly to the men's league. So Adelaide have basically publicly said that they want a better fixture in 2024 um, after their finals chances were ended um, to make up basically for the goal review blunder. Um <laughs> I don't think I'd publicly come out and request no. that because knowing the AFL, they're probably purposely going to go the other <laughs> way now that they've said it publicly, um, purely because now everyone will just come out and say they want a better draw if they get one. But do you think there's any merit in it? 
No, because like so many teams could probably argue a decision was made against them at some stage. I mean, that one was fairly significant, mind you. But I think so many teams could come out and argue, oh, we had this go against us throughout the game. Give us a better fixture as a result of it. So yeah, I we've just... had a few dodgy free kicks this year. Oh. Can we? Oh, we probably will have a pretty good draw next year. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when you finish 18th, yeah. mate. <laughs> Number one pick, here it comes. <laughs> um, the last mm. one I've got is... Now, the Women's League, we have sort of four teams that have been very dominant the last, I don't even know, probably the whole eight seasons, to be honest, except for when North then came in. So they were in, I think, after two years in the competition. Yeah, and then we Um, lost a couple of our plays to them. Yeah, to North. So the whole expansion has obviously diluted a certain number of teams, but the top four have been able to pretty much stay Mm. untouched and North have become part of that top four as a result of their sort of recruiting and able to then stabilise. How do you think going forward the competition evens up? Because you've got players at these top teams that are pretty keen to stay and why wouldn't you be? Because yep. you're winning games, you're winning premierships. How do you think the league evens up? Oh, it's a really tough one with it. I think naturally the talent coming through, it's going to be able to sort of stem down the list in terms of like to your 30th player on the list is going to be a pretty talented player like I'm not saying they aren't at the moment but in terms of like you know they're going to be more footy players coming through the system rather than just athletes as such so I think naturally overall the the talent across the board in the competition will will improve which would probably help that I think the the way the CBAs worked in terms of the soft cap so no two players sitting outside of that soft cap allowance um anymore so you know it I, I think it brings players back and and potentially the opportunity for players to look to move clubs now because they're like, well, hey, I don't have to sit outside that bracket. I'm in with everyone else now. Yeah, it'll um, be interesting how clubs manage that as well because some will have yeah. their two still top taking up the whole cap. Yeah. Others will sort of disperse it through the list. Exactly. So that could create a little bit of player movement as well. So I think naturally that that will happen as a result of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really tough one. It's almost like you'd... <laughs> it, it, I would never do it, but it's almost like, all right, clubs, you get to keep 10 players and then chuck everyone else back in the draft pool. Um, yeah, and that's they, yeah. and that's a probably t- for the future of the competition to make it as even as possible. It's almost like the best approach to it. I would hate if that happened, so please don't ever do that, AFL, and don't listen <laughs> to, <laughs> to that by any means. But, I, like, I just think naturally over time it's just going to have to happen yeah. um, and, and they'll have to keep thinking of ways to do it. But for the time being it's just, you know, the – the clubs down the bottom end are, are going to have to find ways to start beating these these teams um, as the seasons go on. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week, Ellie. It's been fantastic and good luck this weekend. We'll be over in sunny Perth, so at the very least we'll yes. get a nice tan out of it. <laughs> uh, no, hopefully we can come back with the four points, get our first win on the board for the season. No, thanks, mate. Looking forward to the weekend away and, and getting the four points coming home. If you have any questions for us, get us on Instagram at footytalk underscore pod, TikTok at footytalkpod. On Thursday, Abby and Joey will be around for a round nine preview. Listener.